Okay, so we're finally moving on to the last chapter in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 22, and I'd like to read the first five verses. Now, this is a continuation of um, the vision that John had. He was taken to a great mountain, to a great height, and the angel showed him the new Jerusalem and uh, described, and John was able to describe this new Jerusalem, much more focusing on the, uh, the dimensions, the numbers, of, of the new city. Um, and what did those numbers mean? So today we're going to look at the next, the next five verses in 22, uh, look at the city again, but a different aspect of the city. And I'm going to confess to you right now, um, this is the part that I was looking forward to. Looking forward to, not in the sense that I didn't appreciate what we talked about last time about, you know, the, the dimensions of the city and the significance of the measurements and the foundation of the city and how precious it is that the city was built on, uh, the chief cornerstone, firstly, Jesus Christ, but then the twelve, uh, apostles and the message that they brought and how, um, you know, this, this is what girds up the walls uh, around the city. But um, I have to confess, I'm not really one for all the gold and so on, so it really didn't speak to my heart so much, um, the jewels and the gold and so on. And and I want to be careful because I've seen it in such a, a, a gaudy presentation at times, G-A-W-D-Y, um, and... I'm not super duper impressed with that, all the, the, the finery and the gold and so on. Maybe I just haven't seen it done well. But when it comes to these verses, oh, this speaks so much to my heart on so many different levels. So let's get into these first five verses and um, see what the Lord has for us here. Chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruits every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord, the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. If you know me, um, you'll know that I love water and that I love gardens. Um, I, I suppose I get that partly from my mother, uh, who loves her gardens as well. And, and, and there's nothing almost that gives me more joy than to stroll through, uh, our little piece of property there, our little piece of heaven, as we often call it. And, uh, just look at the different trees and look at the different, uh, you know, maybe, uh, things that are happening there, maybe a, an insect there or a new shoot or something like that. And, and so when I, I look at this scripture here, this suddenly, I, it gives my heart such joy to think about the fact that in heaven, it's going to be a, a river of life. There's going to be trees there. We're going to a garden. of, uh, And one of the, the most beautiful pictures, and I've often said this in, in Scripture, I think, is that picture of God in the garden with uh, Adam and Eve. And, and 
But it's always tainted with this, um, uh, the, the knowledge of the fall that's coming. So even though I could, I appreciate, you know, hearing about and imagining in my mind's eye, seeing God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve, there's always that twinge of, of sadness knowing that the fall is just a few verses away. But here, we don't have that anymore. And, and what we, what we love or what I love so much in, in Genesis is now forever going to be the reality in the new Jerusalem. And and so this speaks so much to my heart uh, in, in that I long for and I love the thought that God has prepared a place for you and I that is going to be beautiful beyond compare. And I, I think it's a special um, because of the water, because of the trees and the garden that's going to be there. It says in the first verse, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the midst of the street of it. So here it's talking about the river of life, and the river going right through the middle of the street. Now some think that this, there's many streets there, and that there's also speaking of many um, many rivers. But for now, let's just focus on what the word says here. It's a pure river of water of life. We've heard that before. If you look back in Genesis, we see where, where it all started. It says in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 10, And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted. So after it uh, left the Garden of Eden, it went into four streams. But we see it right here in Genesis. This is that, that, that vision that I have in my mind of the, the, the river. And the river is uh, uh, watering the garden. So it's bringing life to everything. But this is not the only thing. So here's the beauty of the scripture. Um, revelation. The, the word revelation, um, which is oftentimes uh, 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 termed uh, apocalypse. which Because in the Greek, it's something very, very similar to that. And so people have taken this apocalypse and they've made it uh, almost something that's like terrible, right? Or, or something that, you know, lots of, uh, of uh, wars and fire and judgment and so on. It's not that at all. Apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus Christ is this unveiling or this, um, this uh, uh, exposing, revealing. And so when we think about um, revelation, and as I've often mentioned before, Revelation has is really kind of that aha moment that so many people, and although I'll never hear them say this, but somebody like uh, Ezekiel or Isaiah, they're saying, ah, now I understand what you're talking about, or what I was saying when I was prophesying through the Holy Spirit. But we see here in Ezekiel, um, Ezekiel starting in chapter 40 all the way to 48, describes this new city, um, and uh, we see so many of it, and he took eight chapters to do it, but one of those is describing this water. Afterward, he brought me again unto the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. So here, Ezekiel in chapter 47 sees right from underneath the, the uh, temple, the, the house of God, water issuing forth. And, and if you go into some of the other later chapter or verses, you'll see that this water was actually, as it touched the salt water, everywhere it went, it brought life. Zechariah also saw something in chapter 14, uh, verse 8. And it shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem. So again, we see, you know, this idea of this river flowing from Jerusalem. And finally, in Revelation, um, chapter 7, 
only a few chapters earlier, we see when John asks, who is this great multitude of people? Um, and then um, it's explained to him that these are the children of God. They which came out of great tribulation have washed their, washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And he says, um, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So we see this river flowing from the throne here, it says. And it is bringing life. Now, Jesus uh, speaks of, of water as well. And in chapter 7 uh, of the book of John, we read this here. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And so we see, especially through Jesus, um, this relationship of him calling himself water. Uh, he spoke to the woman at the well and says, If you would have asked of me, I would give you what, living water. And... Um, so again, we see this, this link between Jesus and this living water, this water flowing from the throne. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of life, of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. So Jesus is speaking of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given. So Jesus saying, if you believe in me, um, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And he was speaking of the Spirit. So if we look at this first verse, we see the Trinity represented here. We see the God the Father and the Lamb on the throne and in the midst of the street of, or in the, the water proceeding out. We have here living water flowing. Living water that's giving life. Living water that gives eternal life. The second verse, in the midst of the street of it, so that's speaking of the river, and now it describes what's on either side of the river. And on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Again, Ezekiel speaks of this. Actually, first, let's go back to Genesis. Um, and we see again in, in chapter 2 of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, the Lord, plant, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So there we see... Again, not only that God creating this beautiful garden uh, for man whom he has put in there, but he has also put in there the tree of life. And we know, and this is that sad part about uh, that whole Genesis account of the garden and the fall of man, but we know that man never had a chance to really enjoy the tree of life because he took the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and because of that, because man was never meant to live in a fallen state eternally, that God says, you have to leave the garden. And then we hear of the curse that happened uh, because of that. But here in Ezekiel, Ezekiel, as he's describing the temple, also uh, shared something very similar. And by the river, upon the bank thereof, on its side and on that side, on this side and on that side shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaf shall not fade. So not just meat, but it says food or fruit 
as well. So it could be any source of sustenance. Neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his, his month, because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary, and the fruit thereof shall be for meat, and the leaf thereof for medicine. So Ezekiel seeing this vision of this temple, this new Jerusalem, and he's seeing that along this river that gives life is also this the, these trees that are bringing um, their fruits. Uh, all every month they're bringing their fruit, or as as they were appointed to do, and and the, these were for us to be for us to consume, and the fruit thereof shall be for meat. So it's supposed to um, be what we need to survive the food and the leaf thereof for medicine, for the healing. Again, we see such a similar uh, um, comparison to the New Jerusalem that we read in Revelation. Um, here's a, and now as we think about, well, what does a tree of life represent? So first of all, this it speaks again of life eternal, um, this giving of life, as the water was giving of life, feeding the garden, so the trees also um, giving life by supplying the needs for man who is put in the garden. But we also know that it's not just for food, because especially in the New Jerusalem that we read about here, our, we're going to have incorruptible bodies. We're not going to be hungry. We're not going to be uh, thirsty anymore. And we're not going to need these for food. These are going to be for enjoyment. These are going to be for um, you know the joy of, of partaking of this gorgeous fruit and this you know satisfying fruit. But there's another relevance to the tree. In First Peter chapter two, it speaks of another type of a tree. And this is a tree that we would see this connection between Christ and uh, this tree and the significance of the healing of this tree and the supplying of our needs. First Peter chapter two verse twenty four says, Who who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. So here Peter is talking about this other type of a tree, the wooden cross where Christ gave himself to pay for the sins of mankind and to make atonement for the sins of mankind. Because you and I cannot do it on our own. You and I never had what it takes to reverse the curse. And so we have to have somebody uh, to be that propitiation, that substitute for us, so that we have a chance to be in this garden that God has prepared for us, this new Jerusalem. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 also speaks of this tree, the same tree. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And if we remember, as we were reading here, and in fact the next verse talks about this curse, and because of the tree that Christ gave himself on, the curse has been... Um, taken away from us, the curse of, of, of the fall of mankind, uh, the curse of, and, and it says here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, and unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So here we see a very real curse on mankind and the, um, the curse of, of the fallen world that we live in. 
that's being addressed here. But even greater, the greater need for you and I is the moral state that we found ourselves in after the fall. The curse of, of the sin that we then inherited, in a sense, that sin nature from Adam that we inherited. And that was the curse that ultimately the tree took away. That what happened on the tree, Christ giving himself, bearing in his own body our sins upon the tree. So we have this beautiful river that's giving life, feeding, and, and, and changing all those things that have been corrupted, you know, the salt water, and it's giving them new life, and new life springs forth from it. And now we have this tree, and, and this tree that grows on both sides of the river. Uh, I, whether that's many trees or a massive tree that just happens to span the whole river, I don't know. And it's really not important. The point is that in there we see God's heart for us in that he's redeeming us. He is uh, going out of his way. He's searching. Just like Adam, uh, when he searched for Adam, God came in the cool of the morning. He called out for him. Here we see that God, through the symbolism of this tree, God was calling out to us. God is searching for us. All through scripture, we see the beauty of this this hidden, this veiled um, message from God. If you think about the the um, the dimensions of, of the tabernacle and, and how they were always in a cube. This was symbolic of the place where God would dwell and, and that He would be with His people. And that is exactly what the uh, the, the New Jerusalem is. It's a cube and. and the beauty of God saying all along, right from the very beginning, I'm with you. I want to be with you. I want to be in your presence. I, I, I'm not okay with this great divide between us. I want to be right with you. And we see in the, in the river that he's reaching out to us and, and, and longing to bring life and to bring beauty through the, the, the life-giving water and, and through the tree, how he's calling out and reaching out to a lost world, a fallen world and saying, it's, you need to come to me. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he could only say that because of what Jesus had done on the tree. And there shall be no more curse, verse 3 says, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. There shall be no more curse. We've already spoken of the curse of the ground that we read of in Genesis chapter 3, but more, even more important and more severing um, in the presence of God or this relationship that God seeks is the curse of the Adam nature. The world fell into sin because of uh, the, the, what Adam and Eve did. And, and this curse is now, because of the tree, shall be no more. When we are there in New Jerusalem, you know, and I don't think we can really fully appreciate this, because all of us have lived in our lives in a fallen state. There's, you know, even as I, I described how I love to walk around our, our little piece of property and look at the different trees and, and the grass and the weeds and, and so on, you know, the reality is there are weeds there. The reality is that the tree is being infected by insects and it's dying. Um, the reality is that for all of the joy that we can, you know, gather around us from the beauty of creation, there's always that twinge of the curse. There's always that twinge of this will not last. 
that there is a night that's coming. There's a winter that's coming. There's always this, this twinge of shame or, or guilt or, or knowing that we are not who we are supposed to be. We are not how we, we, we're living in a place, in a state that we were never intended to live in. This was not God's plan that uh, death reigns in the world and that sin reigns in the world. This was never God's plan that we would have to be separated from him. And yet, that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in a place where we were separated from God, right there in the Garden of Eden. And God then began, over time, relentlessly to pursue us, to pursue us and to try and woo our hearts back to him. To show us these, these little pictures of, of what he wants from us or wants to do with us. Wants the presence, uh, the joy, the relationship that he wants to have with us. This is the beauty of, of Revelation. This is the beauty of all the scripture. Is we see, um, and I've often heard it described as a love story. And I so much appreciate that because even now as I'm going through again chronologically, I see how God is fighting for his people. How God is trying to lead his people. How God is, and I'm going through right now uh, Deuteronomy. and just finished it actually. And you know... <laughs> Moses doesn't finish it off with really nice speeches about how wonderful everything is. And he finishes it off by um, the, some of the last few chapters with all the curses that are going to happen when they don't follow through with the commandments. And how and he already prophesies about the, the history or the future in that particular case of, of Israel. And it's not nice. But yet, through it all, we can see that God is longing for his people, trying to warn them, trying to uh, avert, steer them away from the heartache uh, of living in a fallen place, in, in a fallen world, living with sin. But the throne of God and of the Lamb, significant that God and of the Lamb, they share the throne. This is not a separation of God and, and the Lamb, but the Two are, are together. Um, I found it interesting that in, in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, I was reading that earlier about uh, the living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, but the next verse says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. And it made me think right away of, of this here, but the throne of God and of the Lamb, they are one, and they shall be in it. Speaking again of the presence of God in it. We don't need a temple because we don't have to go into a temple to meet God because he is in the city. His very presence is here. And his servants shall serve him. And see, now this is where we have to recognize uh, these are some of the, the, the um, dynamics of the kingdom of heaven. It, it goes away now from describing it, but now uh, the, the physical presence perhaps or some of the significance of those things. But now it starts to look at our relationship to God. And, and it starts to focus on God. And it says, and his servants shall serve him. The word there, serve, means to essentially worship. So our, our this is going to, talks about our worship of, a, of God. And his servants shall serve him. We are going to be in worship with God. And now some of you may look, think about that and think about maybe the worship that we've experienced here or in other places. And we think to ourselves, mm, man, I could do without it. Um, if you're not a fan of worship, but let me just, just, 
or, or ask you to think about those times, and I hope you've had them, because everybody ought to have them, or I wish you would have them, but think about those times when you were in worship, and it became such, uh, almost an out-of-body experience. I don't want to go weird like that, but it was such a beautiful experience where your heart seemed to be uh, reaching up to the Father, and, and there was a beautiful connection almost, like a beautiful communion with the Father because of the worship. This is what it's going to be like. A worship that is is so beautiful, and it's just the, the cry of our hearts that we want to, we long to worship the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 4, and they shall see his face. Now this is describing the fellowship that we will have with God. Now if you remember, the significance of this is that nobody has ever seen the face of God. Nobody has ever seen the face of God and lived, I should say. See, Moses, he wanted to see the face of God and God says, you cannot. And at best, he, he put him in the cleft of the rock, and as he passed by, then he took his hand away so that he could see him from the back. But nobody has seen his face, and yet here, we, God is going to reveal himself. Um, it says in Psalm uh, 17, verse 15, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I wake with thy likeness. So the psalmist there speaking of finally seeing uh, the face of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 12 says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Think about that, to be able to look upon the face of God and not um, not fear, and not fear like in the sense of like I'm going to die or he's so holy. And that was a very common reaction when people saw angelic beings or, or um, uh, when Christ would appear to them. It was oftentimes fear. But we are going to look upon the face of God and no fear. We're going to see him. Um, it says also in First John chapter 3, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We We have no point of reference even to to um, imagine gazing upon the face of God. Think about, you know, the most incredible privilege that you could imagine, and it's, it's so infinitely even above that. But that's what we will see. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their in their foreheads. We saw, we heard about the seals, the being sealed, having the seal of God on our foreheads. Um, here, this is speaking about, you know, our relationship with God. We are going to be in a relationship with God because His seal will, His name shall be in their foreheads. We are going to be, uh, the ownership, our relationship in a sense, He's going to claim us as His own. And, and we're going to have His name in our, in our foreheads. How beautiful it is to, to not just be there as a, a, a bystander perhaps, or as somebody who is, you know, maybe slipped in the back door, but we are going to, See him face to face, and he's going to have his name, his his ownership, that that unfathomable privilege of belonging to him. We we have a, a taste of that through the Holy Spirit, as as the Holy Spirit is given to us to, in a sense, set that seal upon us that we belong to the King. But in that circumstance, in that case, in New Jerusalem, that's going to be 
uh, write on us, that an actual, uh, his name is similar to the Levitical priests had on their, on their hats, um, on their turbans, a, a name, uh, we also are going to have that name. That's the relationship that we're going to have with God. We will be his. And finally, in verse, in verse five, it says, there shall be no night there. Again, we hear, we've, read about this often in the, the preceding chapter. And here again, the, the Spirit inspires John to speak about, there should be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. We're going to be able to look at God and to appreciate God uh, in His fullness. There's going to be nothing hidden from us anymore. We are going to um, have that openness of relationship that all things are revealed. There's going to be no more uh, dark glasses or that mirror that will not allow us to see beyond. It all will be revealed. The great unveiling will have happened. And they shall reign forever and ever. And here we have that we are sharing in God's reign. Now, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought, of, you know, we have these pictures of, of what heaven's going to look like? You know, that heaven is going to be, um, um, you know, and, and we get them from the strangest places, cartoons and, uh, you know, um, trying to hawk products on, on television and so on. You see these pictures of people floating on clouds and playing harps, and it looks eternally boring. To me, anyways, it does. I can't imagine something that would be not, not that, that, was, that doesn't strike me as being exciting. But to think, have you thought about what will it actually be like? You think about when, uh, I believe Jesus uh, tells the story of, uh, of you know, those who, who uh, were faithful and little. He says he will make them uh, masters or, or rulers over much. Have you ever thought about that? What is it going to be like? What are we going to do in heaven? We're going to be worshiping God. Um, uh, it says day and night they worship God in the temple. And it also speaks here that we shall reign with him. Um, I, I can't tell you. What, I, clearly, I don't know. But just from some of what we read in Scripture, it speaks of us, in a sense, reigning or ruling. And I've, I've been intrigued by that. Will you, will you that one thing or, or maybe those things that are, are just so um, in, invigorating for you? The, I, I love gardening. I, I love, uh, you know, designing little garden beds and planting trees and all these sort of things. Can, for me, that would be heavenly. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's what God is going to give me, uh, you know, to be able to allow me to be creative, that creative nature that uh, he has put into all of us. I don't know. But we are going to reign with him. And that's not insignificant. That's going to be incredible. And, and you know, is that going to be mean that we're going to be ruling over all the universe as well? Uh, creating new things? I don't know. But let your mind uh, ponder on that a little bit. It's not all fluffy clouds and, and, and harps and boringness. This is going to be meaningful. This is going to be significant, and it's going to speak so deeply to who you are. So, you know, I love going through this exercise of of, of looking at the Scriptures and trying to picture what it is that, you know, tease out some of the meanings and, and boy, we've left a whole bunch on the table. Um, remember, this is our, our higher level, sort of like plain 
you know, looking from a plane at Revelation, uh, just trying to get a lay of the land in a sense. So we've left a lot on the table. There's a lot that we could, you know, pull out of these here, um, these verses. But what does it mean to us, though? And I'd just like to finish with this thought now for the next few minutes. But um, when we think about heaven, and, you know, we wrestle with... Um, all these these information this information that we have here, um, the links that we have back to the Old Testament, you know, this is clearly what uh, the prophets and the saints of old were were hearing and and um, you know thinking about, and even though they probably didn't understand it, they didn't maybe understand the significance. You know, there's this this here but not yet uh, dynamic that goes on. Um, and so they they don't have the benefit necessarily. Well, they didn't until John wrote a lot of this. And even then, some of this is still almost veiled to us in that we just don't understand perhaps the context of it. But this is, after all, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is, after all, us getting a, a, a clearer picture of the past and the future and the character of God. And this is what really um, strikes me as I go through not 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 just these few verses, the chapters uh, speaking of the New Jerusalem, but all of Revelation, is that God has a plan. Um, he's He's got it all figured out already. That He's got um, He's got it all figured out. But what He has in store for those who believe and those who are faithful, is incredible. And, and we should never forget that because, you know, we live here and now in a, in a very present world that has a lot of trouble. Um, especially in these times, in the last few months, you know, the, the world has, I've seen changes that I didn't think I'd ever see. And it can cause alarm or perhaps even fear. But not just, you know, uh, the times that we live in. Think about uh, those who have gone on before. I, I think about, and, and I'm not sure why I was thinking about this uh, uh, as much, but, you know, I think about, and, and perhaps it was uh, um, at Brother Octavian's funeral. I remember, I believe it was George Friend. He was preaching. But for some reason, I remember this 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 notion that, you know, this dear brother uh is is now healed what cancer took away from him god has uh you know healed him and, and we saw this in, in the tree of life you know the the branches or the leaves were for the healing of the nations you know god is not i, I think about even brother tibby you know who who in his last days you know had double amputation and and uh you know the 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 pain that that would have all been. And, and um, you know, my father and my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, and, and all those who've gone before us, you know, who are now healed, who are, are, are no longer going to suffer. Um, but yet, even in this time that we live in, when, when the world just, just wants to tear us and, and, and the stresses of life and, and the difficulties of life, and, and I know some of you are going through really, really difficult times. And I, I want to encourage you, 
I want you to uh, look at these scriptures and, and see the character of God. See that God not only loves you, but that he has a great plan for you. And that he has, he has from the beginning of time, been pursuing you. That he has been, per- he, nothing goes uh, unnoticed to him. And nothing is unprepared for you. And the things that you are going through, I, I just, I, I know how, how, how important it is for me when I'm struggling, when I'm going through a difficult time, when, when life just seems to uh, be getting the upper hand, how important it is for me to see and, and to read about who God is and what he has prepared for me. And we, and I think too often we, um, we, we lose sight of heaven. Because we try to anesthetize ourselves here. But if, if I can leave you with this, my brother and sister, my dear friend, especially to you, my dear friend, who, who still stands at, at the, uh, on the outside of this, this doorway, in a sense, and, and, and you are trying to maybe make it on your own, and, and, and you are, are trying to be good, trying to, to you know, weigh the balances in your favor, we know how that works. We know that when the books are opened and the book of works is opened, God's going to, everything is listed there. And only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be uh, spared from the judgment to come and will be able to experience this, to be able to, um, to be with Christ, um, to worship Him, to have this fellowship with Him, to see Him face to face, um, to have that ownership of God identified right in our bodies, um, to be sharing in God's reign. God has prepared a place for you. Um, please don't, Please don't delay. Please don't uh, forfeit the hope that you could have. The hope that you so maybe desperately want to to grab from this world. But we know where this world is going to go. This world is is destined to be cast into the lake of fire. And and it it flees away from the presence of God. I I implore you that come. As, as the final verses here uh, speak, it's an invitation that we'll get to uh, shortly. Um, but it speaks to those, you know, who are thirsty, those who are hungry to come. Um, and those of you who are going through difficult times, I pray that you would take the comfort of knowing that God is in control. That God is very intimately uh, aware of the circumstances of your life. And that he is orchestrating things. And that he's caring for you. And, and that he is, is carrying you. That he wants to carry you through this time. And the burdens that you may have. Let's not get uh, stuck on, on necessarily what, uh, you know, arguing or, or, or fussing and, and fretting too much about what all these things mean. Um, you know, dimensions and so on. But try and see the heart of God and the the desire that God has to be with you, in relationship with you, and the great care that he promises to you. May our hearts be uh, encouraged by this so that um, we would have strength to go on for the next day and the days to come so that we wouldn't be despairing.
but we'd be able to put our hands and our lives and our trust in a God who has this place prepared for us. Amen.